I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And Austin, it's that time. It's beta time again. Oh, yeah. So WWDC was this week. We're going to talk about that. We're going to give a brief overview, I think, maybe dig into some of the stuff that we were most interested in from uh, all of this stuff that Apple announced a couple of days ago. But there's a bunch of other little things going on. Uh, we spent a bunch... I mean, it's also E3 time. That's happening within the next few days. We're recording this just before the E3 stuff starts to kick off. So on our next episode, we're going to do a big kind of uh, what happened at E3. But we're going to talk a little bit about what we're hoping for, again, also later in the episode. But one little piece of gaming news that I just kind of found interesting and funny in a way is that Xbox Game Pass is now available on the Surface Duo. <laughs> Man, like... I feel like the Surface Duo is just sneaking into the episodes now, right? Like we can't, we can't escape it. I like, I like talking about it for that reason. It's just like a little run-in thing. It's, it's the Duo and the Z Flip. They're just like the mascots of the show. Okay, well, I mean, Z Flip does deserve to be in every episode of the podcast we do until the end of time. Mm -hmm. uh, Surface Duo, kind of there. So it's just nice to see that they're still supporting it because I know that. Um, let's let's just say it hasn't had the most successful mm -mm. of you know first six nine months out on the market. Um, but this is cool. So essentially, you can use it almost like a DS, right? So the top yeah. screen, you'll be able to see you know your games that you're playing via Game Pass, and on the bottom, you actually have the quote unquote you know the the virtual controls on your bottom screen. So it's it's a cool use. I'm glad that I'm actually doing something with it to give it a little bit more. Um, uh, how should we say it? A reason to exist. Yep. I don't like playing video games with touchscreen controls like this. Yeah. Like I, I've never enjoyed games on my iPhone even where you have like on-screen buttons. I don't mm. like that. I've never liked that. When it comes to games, I prefer the kinds of games that have a touch-first experience, right? Rather yeah. than this is like a console game, but we're just going to fake some buttons for you. I mean, I do prefer this than overlaying the buttons on the screen because I always find that, especially for games that really aren't designed for it, my yep. thumbs can cover up a big chunk of the screen, especially if you're playing on something like an iPhone like 12 mini or something that has a little bit of a smaller display. So getting those buttons off of that main panel and onto something that's a little bit out of the way is nice. But I agree. I mean... Obviously, in an ideal world, we all carry around an Xbox controller in our backpack and we just play like that. But that's not really practical. So it's no. nice to at least see them using this. I know probably the closest to anything like this I've done in the past is playing like Game Boy games on the Z Flip. Surprise, mm -hmm. surprise. Um, where you actually can have sort of that similar experience where you have like, you know, your Game Boy screen up top and then you have your your D-pad and everything on the, on the touchscreen. And it's fine for simpler games. I just kind of question like, I never really liked the idea of using like analog sticks. Like that's the point where like if I'm just touching, you know, like D-pads and A and B, et cetera, et cetera, that feels fine on a touchscreen. But when you're actually going for that full like slidey pad and everything, it's a little bit trickier. But obviously people play games like, you know, Call of Duty Mobile and PUBG all the time. So it's not yep. exactly like some revolutionary new concept. Yep. And I don't know how these kids today, how they manage it. It's like, you know, I can I can type, right, on my phone without looking. But predictive text is helping me a bunch there. You know, it's just I, I like to be able to feel the buttons that I'm going to press and I'm going to press them. Otherwise, I don't really know where I'm, where I'm aiming for. But. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
But as I said, I'm happy for them to keep trying to find reasons for the Surface Duo to exist. Oh. Do you think so Google's going to have any better luck of a folding phone? There's more rumors of folding pixels. Apparently, Samsung is making a screen for an upcoming Google Pixel phone. We'd spoken about the rumors of this a long time ago. What do you think? I mean, I am very excited. So it seems like, yeah, in classic Pixel fashion of everything leaking uh, roughly a year uh-huh. before they even come close to announcing it, um, it does seem like there is a foldable Pixel and not like a Z Fold style, right? Like something more like the Z Flip that's a little bit more of a compact phone. I believe I've heard the name, like I think called like Passport or something floating around. It's like a code name or something. That was There was a BlackBerry phone called the Passport and it was shaped like a Passport. Do you remember that? Yeah, so looking at this, it seems like if I was going to take a guess on what we're actually going to see when they announce it, imagine a Z Flip, but wider. That's kind of the vibe that I get, where it's probably going to be roughly that same height, but it's just going to be a little bit more wide. Um, I'm not totally sure. I mean, to be fair, really, the Z Flip is the only kind of folding phone we've seen like that. So this is the only form factor that I personally know, and I actually like it a lot. Surprise, surprise. But... I I think above all, I'm really excited to see what happens when Google really leans into the foldable space. Because, I mean, Android has supported, you know, foldable phones for a little bit. But really, it seems like Samsung have done a lot of work to customize Android to really make it take advantage of the folding form factor. And I'm curious to see what happens when Google not only just sort of gets into the hardware game, but really kind of leans into, okay, how can we properly optimize, not just for a Z Flip or a Z Fold, and every app has to kind of figure that out, but actually how can we properly optimize the entire operating system to better support folding and dual screen devices? Because I think as soon as the Pixel comes out, I mean, that's got to be like, I mean, what's the point of selling Pixels if it is not sort of the Halo flagship Android experience? Do you have high hopes for the Pixel this year or expectations? Because it's not, I, I don't think we're getting the, the folding one this year. That doesn't seem oh, like you don't? Oh, no, I don't I, think, I think it this could. year. You, really? Hmm. Yeah, why not? I mean, Samsung has had this stuff. I mean, they're selling it. From the rumors, it seems like um, they're using very similar tech. So uh, supposedly it is going to be using not only the display from something like the Z Flip, or at least the same kind of panel that's foldable, uh, but also uh. the ultra-thin glass. So I assume it's, I mean, just take a Z Flip, stretch it out a little bit, and give it more of a googly look, which, to be fair, it seems like the the next Z Flip actually has more of a googly look already. So <laughs> maybe they're just kind of like brother devices. But I, I could see this happening this year. Okay. I mean, I don't know. It feels early to me, honestly. Man, Z Flip has been out for almost a year and a half now. I know, it's, it's but not... like, when I say it's early, it's, to me... Really, I feel like the only company that has managed to do a decent job in foldables is Samsung. Mm-hmm. So I just don't have a lot of faith in Google being able to pull this off right now. Yeah. I, so there have been a lot of rumors that on the Pixel side of the house that Google and Samsung are working really closely, right? I mean, there's a lot of rumors that you know Samsung and Google are working together on their own custom chip. There's been a lot of talk. Obviously, Samsung are a huge supplier of a lot of different components, like screens for most companies out there. Um, And it seems like Samsung have gotten the early lead in foldable phones. But guess what? I mean, they're not just selling the completed devices. They can make a lot of money selling you these foldable screens for your own device. 
Um, and of course, you know, you look at like the, the SOC side with the custom chips and whatnot. Samsung want to make money. And I think that they're probably perfectly happy, just like they're happy to make a Galaxy S21 and the display for an iPhone. They're probably perfectly happy to do the same where they're making the Z Flip and the Z Fold, but they're also making some of these same components for the Googles and the Xiaomi's of the world who want to also create foldable devices. I don't think it's crazy to think that we're going to see more of this Google and Samsung partnership because it really, especially when you look at stuff like how Wear OS and uh, was it Tizen is kind of starting to merge on the, mm-hmm. the wearable side. It does seem like the Google and Samsung sort of partnership is getting sort of deeper and deeper as time goes on. Also, I just really want a foldable pixel. Yeah, I would be really intrigued to see if, if they manage to do it, right? And and mm-hmm. you're making a lot of sense in what you're saying. My My kind of... Uh, Miss Hope is just—it's just a feeling. I, but I would be super intrigued to see what a pixel, a foldable pixel, would really be like. Yeah, it's very intriguing to me that thought. I think we might be on. Like, obviously, it was very exciting last year. You know, you had the the first fold, which obviously got a little bit delayed, and then we had the Z Flip and the Fold Two, and all these things. But now it seems like there's a little bit of a lull, right? Uh, Samsung mm-hmm. has been clearly way ahead. I know some other companies have tried, but no one's really seen the quote-unquote success. I mean, we don't really know how many of these things Samsung is selling. But now it seems like we're getting a little bit closer to the time where other companies are going to start bringing out devices. There's going to be a little bit more competition. And again, I think it's the important thing to look at how Android is supporting these things, right? And kind of using that as a differentiation. Because, I mean, for a long time, we've seen companies constantly try to debate, like, okay, what's the next big thing to try to get, you know, more market share, specifically more profit share, right? Like, do we throw bigger cameras, more megapixels? Do we throw, you know, larger displays, et cetera, et cetera? Like, everyone's been pushing the envelope on what makes a phone better and more expensive for quite a while now. But... The slab phone, I think, has not necessarily run its course, but I mean, there's not mu- that much more you can do. But oh boy, you throw some foldable action at it, and you're gonna drop. You know, I mean, what? what the Z Flips was started at like fourteen hundred bucks. The fold is two thousand dollars. I guarantee you, every other manufacturer looks at that and goes, "Oh yeah, I want to push my phone over a thousand dollars." And here's the clear way to do it, and it's something that actually legitimately seems different and new, even if for some people it's probably not worth the extra price premium. Have you been paying attention to the play date? Dude, this thing is so cool. Like, I don't know what I would do with it, but it's so cool. So they had an event, uh, kind of like a Nintendo Direct kind of stars. This has been a product that's been um, kicking around for a couple of years now, I think, and since it was first announced. And like everything else in the world, has been maybe been delayed a little bit. But the Playdate <laughs> is a tiny handheld game console made by a company called Panic. Panic you may know as being a Macintosh software developer. They've been forever. But the, 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 they have kind of a cred in the gaming industry now as they were the publisher of both Firewatch and Untitled Goose Game. So Two they've been games. using their money that they've been making in their software endeavors to help fund video games. And then at the same time, have been working on their first hardware product a video gaming console called the Playdate, which its whole thing is yellow and it has a crank on the side. And the crank <laughs> is an input method for video games. The screen is like a little bitmap, like gray scale screen, kind of old Game Boy style. 
Um, and the whole thing is you buy the console and then you get a season of games and then I think you'll pay for future seasons. And so over a 12-week period, they're giving you 24 games and it's called play date because they come like every Thursday, you get one or two and that's your play date. That's the date where the games arrive. So they're just delivered to you and you don't know what they're going to be. You don't know what the experiences are going to be like. And I really liked in their video where they were like, you might not like some of them. But there'll always be more. And I kind of, I like really appreciate that. The design of the console is super weird and fun. Surpri- like, unsurprisingly, they're working with teenage engineering with the design, which is why it looks so cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's $179. And it, that comes with the first 24 games. Pre ordering begins in July and it's shipping later on in the year. They also announced a like a uh, dock product that, that they've also worked with teenage, teenage engineering on, which is a Bluetooth speaker, a charger and a pen holder. <laughs> uh, but when you put it in that little dock, it just looks like this adorable clock, like a, like this little alarm clock radio thing. I'm super into this Austin. I think this is fantastic. I am right there with you. Like this seems like one of the last like sort of fun, weird projects because we've seen a lot over the years of companies like Ouya, even think like Atari yep. with the VCS. Like there's been a lot of, and, and you know, and think about the NVIDIA Shield, right? I mean, that, they started that out less as like, an oh, this is an Android TV kind of thing and more of like, oh, this is like your portable gaming device, right? Lots and lots of companies have tried to get into this, but everyone kind of goes into it with like, oh, we're going to be the next like Switch or PS Vita. You know, like their expectations are far too high to be realistic. But you look at something like the Playdate, it's a much smaller, simpler device. And it's something that, no, they're never going to sell 20 million copies of this thing, right? But that's okay because it's something which is sort of designed almost, I feel like it's almost more of a competitor to things like sort of the micro consoles of like, you know, like the the NES Classic or something like that where, no, you're not going to go play the next version of Call of Duty on it. But if you want something which has a little bit of that like nostalgia and a little bit of that sort of unique kind of bespoke feel – and legitimately, there are unique games here, right? Because I think that's one of the things they're putting forward here, and specifically with the custom interface. Like, you know, most games don't have automatic crank controls, right? But having that as sort of a completely custom and new sort of interface that have a bunch of unique games, this seems cool. Like, I'm about it. I am excited to pre-order it. I don't know how much I'm really going to spend a ton of time playing. I mean, none of the games have really jumped out to me as like, oh my god, I can't wait to play this. But, I mean, if you get 24 games in that first season, I'm certainly going to sit down, play through some of them. And it has that kind of that, that, that I don't even know, it's like nos- not even nostalgia. It's, a, it's almost got a little bit of a novelty, right? That's like, oh, this is something that's a, a different experience. Yeah, that, I think that's the whole thing about this ex- this whole game console thing, right? Like it's meant to be not your main console, right? Like it's just like, this is like a fun little thing you can play with every couple of weeks, and you might just pick it up every now and then, you know. Like, and I, and I think that that's actually works pretty great, especially for the price. I think 180 bucks for the console with 24 games, I think is is pretty sweet. So I'm I'm really pumped about this. And they're, they're what they're doing with the launch is interesting, right? They're just like start pre-ordering them, and we're not going to turn off pre-orders, and you'll get one when we have stock. That's great. That's great. I mean. <laughs> The world of pre-orders and raffles and standing in line and mm-hmm. just trying to get your hands on so much tech is it's it's so out of control. I mean, it's just it's really, really crazy at how difficult it is to get your hands on PlayStations and graphics cards and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's 
I mean, obviously, who knows? Maybe this is a disaster and people pre-order on day one and they get it three years later. But I, I don't mind going back to a little bit of a, of a simpler time. So as well as E3 on the next episode, we'll be talking about a Windows event, which is coming on June 24th. Uh, they're teasing the next generation of Windows. And there's been a lot of talk about Windows 11 coming, mm -hmm. which is interesting because didn't Microsoft say that it was going to be Windows 10 <laughs> forever or something? <laughs> I mean, they also made Vista, so, yep. and you they, know. They also have not delivered and probably will never deliver on Windows X. No. no I'm I wondering if the next version of Windows will take some of what Windows X was going to be and just make that a part of it. I don't know. <sighs> so, at this point, we've known that there's some big UI change coming. And they've teased it, and we've seen little bits and pieces and I think most people, myself in, in included, sort of assumed this was just going to be the next version of Windows 10 because they were pretty clear. I don't know. This was a few years ago at this point. But they were pretty clear that oh, Windows 10 is like kind of the version of Windows and we're just going to continue to update it. And it's true, right? I mean, if you look at what Windows 10 was when it first launched compared to today, they have massively overhauled it to the point where I think in normal years, this would have been, you know, if this was the Mac OS side of things, this would have been two, three versions farther, right? But they've continued to do that. Now, I do think there's some real benefit to them to get people to pay attention to the fact that, like, oh, this is a new version of Windows, right? Because for so long, Windows and Mac OS, but specifically Windows really was like, okay, cool. Every two, three, four years, there's going to be a new version of Windows. You're going to pay the 80 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever to upgrade, and that'll be that. But for so long now, people have just gotten used to Windows 10. Oh, it just automatically downloads the new version, new patches, new patches. I'm really curious to see... They're going to have that new name. I think it seems very clear they've heavily teased it. But what are they going to do? Is it actually going to be functionally different? And specifically, how are people going to upgrade? I assume, and maybe this is a bad assumption, but I assume that even though this will have a new name, if you already have Windows 10, you'll just update to Windows 11 for free and it'll just come with it. Because, I mean, do you really think that Microsoft or anyone can go back to charging for full OS updates anymore? I definitely don't think Microsoft can or should. Because, uh, you know, everything that they're saying is that it's everything else now for Microsoft. Mm -hmm. You know, like yep. this is the same as like Apple do not charge for software updates because they make their money in other places. Mm -hmm. And I think it's become very clear that Microsoft now is making their money in other places. And keeping everybody up to date on Windows, I think, is becoming more important. Mm -hmm. So giving away Windows for free will allow them to do that. But I don't know. You know, like maybe we're still not at that point yet. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they'll continue to sell full-price Windows 11 licenses just like they sell Windows 10, right? When you build a PC or buy a PC or mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, I'm sure that side of it is going to be no different. But my assumption would be that even though this will be a new numbered version of Windows, that the functionality and the experience isn't going to be that different than just an updated look and some new features for Windows 10. But realistically, I feel like all of these lines have been pretty blurry for a while. I was actually listening to uh, Stephen and Quinn's episode of Flashback talking about Vista. Yep. And it was such a throwback to the old school approach of starting and stopping and restarting. That's If people haven't listened to it, it's an excellent episode. I love the story of Vista. I love everything about that because it's just such a fascinating look in history. But thinking about that in comparison to where we are now, there's no way that Microsoft will want to take a step back and go toward those older school approaches. I think they've got a good sort of cadence of like, you know, 
couple of big updates a year. You know, once they get people on Windows 10, they just continue to drag them along versus like, oh, you have to, you know, start over and you got to buy a brand new OS and all this kind of stuff. Because people, I think in these days, no one's going to buy a new operating system for their, their computer, right? It's not going to happen. You're not going to get that sort of rollover. But we'll see. Hopefully by the time our next episode goes live, we'll have a little bit of a clearer look. But I'm personally really excited to see what it looks like and what really it is to deserve that full number difference, right? Are we going to start seeing Windows 12, Windows 13 every year? Or is this just like, okay, every five years or something, they're going to do some major overhaul of Windows, and that's going to be what's deserving of that brand new name. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Forward Networks. Forward Networks reduces business risk by revolutionizing the way that large networks are managed. Wow. Well, their advanced software delivers a digital twin of your network, which is a completely accurate mathematical model made in software. This model serves as a single source of truth for the network, so users can verify that it's configured correctly, is in compliance with policies, and behaving exactly as intended. Forward Enterprise can accurately predict the impact of a proposed change across every possible traffic path, so network operators can roll out changes with confidence, all while the network is staying secure and reliable. This is an invaluable tool for your company. Fortune 500 companies and large public sector organizations are turning to mathematical models of networks. Forward Networks has customers such as PayPal, Verizon, and Goldman Sachs, along with several large government agencies as well. It was founded in 2013 by four Stanford PhD graduates who felt empathy for network operators and knowing security is top of mind for IT professionals and business leaders, so they sought to apply the principles of modern software development to the network. Request a demo today at forwardnetworks.com slash test drivers. That's forwardnetworks.com slash test drivers. Go there right now. Check it out. Forwardnetworks.com slash test drivers. Our thanks to Forward Networks for their support of this show and Relay FM. So it's WWDC time, my friend. We're just wrapping up the week. How are you doing? I feel I'm like exhausted. This is always- <laughs> Yeah, is how I am. I am exhausted. My week's not over. I've still got more shows to record and edit over the weekend. This is like for the type of content that I make, you know, the type of shows that I do, this touches on so many of them. It's kind of like the Super Bowl or whatever, right? WWDC. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to a friend about this this morning who's a software developer. And he was saying about how, you know, like whatever app will do at WWDC, it kind of like will dictate my next year. So I watch it with that kind of feeling in mind. And it can either mean they have a busy year or they have a quiet year. And it's very similar for me because depending on how much or what Apple announces at WWDC will dictate my content for the next three, six, nine months. So Mm -hmm. if Apple have a quiet WWDC, I have to work harder to come up with topics for the shows. This show, Upgrade, Connected, Cortex. I have to work harder to be like, all right, we need to start like thinking outside the box because there's just not enough source material for us to make shows out of, right? But if, right, they have, right. if they have a year where Apple's got so much stuff going on, the content writes itself, you know? So I'm curious, what's the grade this year? I think we're kind of in the middle. Okay, and okay. I think that actually it will start to push towards easy year for me in the sense of them doing loads of stuff because there was no hardware 
at WWDC mm. this year. And we know there's going to be good hardware coming. So my expectation is this would actually be better for me because we'll be talking about software for a bit. And then there's usually a bit of a lull in the summer where you've tried out the betas, but you want to stop talking about them. So we're able to do more coverage when they actually launch. And then there's apps available taking advantage of the new APIs and stuff. So my expectation now is during that kind of what would be typical lull time, maybe in the summer, we'll get new Mac Pros and stuff like that. So Apple will be doing me good is what I expect, right? Because that hardware seems to be in the offing. Like it could have been now, or, but it's going to be soon. That's kind of how I feel. I was a bit, bit bummed out that there are no MacBook Pros, but like I'm still keeping my fingers crossed for the new MacBook Pro. Yeah, I feel like it almost seems like we've kind of hit a different sort of era where it's so, I don't want to say easy, but it's so much simpler for Apple to do these sort of mini events like we saw in April yeah. where, you know, it's 30 minutes or I guess probably closer to an hour. And they'll have two, three products. They'll bring them out. Everyone is going to watch just like they would watch previous Apple events where, they, you know, it was a bigger barrier to entry. They had to invite all these people out, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think it's as simple as, okay, they make a an hour-long presentation video where they show off, you know, the, the new MacBook and new AirPods or, or whatever the case is. But it doesn't seem like there's any real reason for them not to do three, four, five of these sort of smaller events every year. And then, you'll you know, you'll have the WWDC, which is more software-focused, and they don't have to, I mean— I'm sure there's going to be points in the future where they show off pro machines. Like maybe next WWDC, they show the new Mac Pro or something. But it mm-hmm. seems like they can kind of simplify each event, you know. So there's always going to be that September iPhone event. There's always going to be WWDC, which is sometimes pro-focused, but pretty much entirely software and developer-focused. And then all the consumer launches can just be sprinkled out throughout the year whenever they're ready. They don't have to sort of cramp everything into WWDC or everything into the September event like they sort of did in the past. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what that hybrid future looks like. You know, we spoke, we spoke, we mm-hmm. speak about this all the time now, so we don't need to get into it today. But my feeling, honestly, though, Austin, is that I think they probably would have wanted to announce some hardware, but can't. You know, mm-hmm. just because th- yeah. there are lots of constraints with hardware production still, and and I think that that might have been more of the issue here. But you're right; they could just as easily roll out the press machine again in a month's time and get everyone's attention for an hour or they show off a new MacBook Pro. Yeah, But there was a lot of software stuff and it was mostly... This year is interesting because this WWDC was way more focused on on things Apple's doing for users, less on what they want developers to do for users. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this happens every now and again where there's kind of a bit of a swing. There wasn't something this year like widgets. Right, where it's like, here's a brand new thing that your users are going to expect from you. You know, a lot of the stuff that was announced that could be implemented are these like new sharing APIs, like SharePlay and stuff like that. But not every type of app will need to build a SharePlay experience. And this is where you can, you know, I mean, you could be on a FaceTime call and watching a movie together, you know, and that's the kind of thing that there are only certain types of applications, you know, like video apps or whatever would be expected to add that kind of stuff. So there isn't, you know, and so I think for a lot of people, for a lot of developers, this is going to be a bit of a refinement year, but there is a bunch of stuff that Apple has done to the system, which is interesting. So you've got that, you've got the new kind of notification management and the focus modes, which I'm really kind of excited about and playing around with them a little bit. This is kind of cool. It's where you can kind of set up notification profiles, you know, so 
when I'm doing this kind of work, I can set my phone up in a certain way so it shows me the home screens or my iPad shows me the home screens and then also locks off notifications for everyone except certain apps and except certain people. And it is across all devices, right? So if I set up my iPhone, it will set on my Mac. And I think this is kind of cool. And I think it's helpful in an environment where... So a lot of this stuff was like pandemic related, right? And this is one of the mm-hmm. things where if you are now working and social all on one computer, it might be a good idea to set up your focus mode. So, you know, when yeah. when you're in the social part in the evening, Slack notifications are turned off, so you just don't see them, right? And so it kind of helps yeah, yeah. people split their time better with the focus mode stuff. So I think that was cool. Yeah, I think for me, especially, I'm going to find a lot of use for this. So mm-hmm. over the last year, year and a half, really since the M1 MacBooks came out, I have simplified a lot of my devices, right? So the 13-inch MacBook, uh, the MacBook Pro M1 that I'm using to actually record right now on, this is my everything, right? So oh, that sounds that sounds so romantic. <laughs> this is my everything. <laughs> Let's not tell your wife, huh? (laughs) Sorry, honey. This MacBook is my everything. Uh, Oh, man. (laughs) I love this computer. Uh, It was like, Craig, you know, you saw uh, Craig did a bunch of interviews with YouTubers. He did one with my friend Ellie, and she asked him a bunch of random questions. And I love, she's like, what's your favorite Apple product of all time? And you can see he, like, thought about it for a second. He's like, the M1 MacBook Pro. I'm like, good job, Craig. You've got you this thing rehearsed down. You know that's not what he thought immediately, <laughs> right? He was thinking like, ah, uh, like the Mac 128, or like you know, like he because yeah. you know, uh, I don't know. That was that. I did like that too. Like he took a minute to think, and I feel like he had an answer, and then he was like, hang on, because then there's also like, what computer is he actually using? Mm-hmm. Right, he's like M1X. I mean, and M1 M1 MacBook Pro, right? <laughs> <laughs> not the one you're thinking of. He's on that M3 life. But so your your MacBook Pro is your everything. You're dialing your love forever. Yes, it is my love forever. Mm-hmm. But I do pretty much everything on this device, right? Yeah. So recording the podcast, I do video editing, I do all like email and whatnot. I mean, like I really live on this system. And having some of these focus tools built in where I can easily not only keep notifications separate, but especially I'm curious to see how it will allow me to change my workflow. Because right now I always have 13 windows open. I have a bunch of Safari windows and different tabs. Like I just everything that's up at all times. And I certainly get distracted. You know, I'm like, I'm trying to write up some ad copy or whatever. And then I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go sit on Twitter or something. Right. But having a little bit more of that focus Mm -hmm. on the phone is nice, but I think I'll actually see more use for it on the MacBook. Yeah. And I think it's a really cool feature that I am excited to play with. And especially with because Shortcuts is now got has been beefed up, but it's coming to the Mac too, which I'm super excited about. But you know, you can automate these uh, focus things using there's a built-in automation. You can use shortcuts, or when you turn on a focus mode, you can have it automatically fire off some shortcuts for you. So like they're doing some really interesting stuff here with automation as well, which I'm I'm really keen to play around with. So I say about pandemic features, right? There's also so much been added to FaceTime. Yeah, yeah. And it's cool, but might just be too light. I mean, yeah, I agree. I did not, on my bingo card, have um, FaceTime working on Android and yeah. uh, and Windows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. I mean, I pretty much only FaceTime, like, one person. Or yep. one person at a time. I don't really ever do group FaceTime. And I usually FaceTime, like, my wife when I'm at the grocery store like hey mm-hmm. is this the right kind of yogurt or something like it's not 
something that I do on a very regular basis. And I don't think this will necessarily change things. I mean, some of the stuff about like, you know, having better like audio isolation, having like portrait mode, which side so note, sweet. I, uh, so the portrait mode, I mean, obviously that's not exactly something brand new because some, you know, something like Zoom or whatever's had like the fake green screen backgrounds for a while. I was kind of curious though to see that they're bringing portrait mode to video in FaceTime, but not in the camera app, which I'm sure it wouldn't look quite as nice, but I, mm. I thought that was a little bit strange that they've had like the previews in the camera for a while. And I know for me, like I love to be able to shoot portrait video. I mean, something like Samsung, they've done it for a while, but I assume it's probably just because the quality isn't really quite there. I can imagine um, they might want to hold that for an iPhone. Mm, yeah, maybe. Right. That there would be an iPhone in, within the coming years that can do it well, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it's actually mm-hmm. a feature portrait video. Yeah, because uh, you know you you know that the portrait mode in FaceTime it's not going to be like I I can't imagine it will work flawlessly right it's no. th- that seems like an incredibly difficult thing to do computationally to make I it mean, look really have, good they'll have more sensors and more data available than something like Zoom which is doing a very crude sort of cutout yeah um but uh, it's fine right there's a lot of nice things here and SharePlay is interesting I can't wait until the two of us can sit around and watch. TikToks together over FaceTime or whatever the kids do these days. I mean, it'd be kind of amazing if we could somehow use some app and watch Formula One together, but we don't oh, have... Oh, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, now that you say that, what? there's got to be... Well, SharePlay can be rolled out to like the F1 app or something, but right? I can't watch Formula mm. One in the F1 app. Wait, what? This is like, that's one of those stupid lock-in things. I have to watch it on like the TV oh. provider we have here because they've bought the rights to Formula One. Oh, okay. But there are experiences that I could imagine they would be cool in. And the, what what I'm what I mean really is like if this FaceTime stuff had existed, like setting up FaceTime by a link, FaceTime being cross-platform, if this was if this existed a year ago, we probably all wouldn't be using Zoom at the same level that we are, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe, yeah. but it, I don't know if it would have caught on the same because FaceTime is like has a a better feature set really than zoom right it's free Mm -hmm. you could have you don't have a time limit Mm -hmm. all of the security concerns of zoom is not a thing for apple right so like if if this would have existed a long time ago maybe we wouldn't be using zoom to, to the level that we are now and i think the problem is even if people continue to do a lot of the things that we've been doing during the pandemic, because there's going to be certain things in people's lives that remain habitual. I, I don't know if you're going to switch to a different app for that. Yeah, it, this seems like it will probably make some people use FaceTime more often. I think yep. SharePlay is probably the real thing that like, if it becomes just like the way that, you know, widgets were super trendy last year, yep. if it becomes super trendy to like, you know, watch content together. But the thing is, a lot of companies have already kind of tried to build this stuff, right? I mean, now it's that you built have... into like the Disney app and stuff like that. They have know, their own. Yeah. So I'm sure that everyone's going to switch over and use this as sort of a little bit more of a seamless thing. And if you can do this, but what I'm curious is SharePlay wouldn't work outside of iOS devices, right? Because everyone no. would need to have... Because the only way to really do FaceTime if you're on Android or Windows is for someone else to initiate it and then send you the link to join and you're just in the browser. Yeah, so it's it's still super limited. This is an iOS-only feature for sure. Yeah. And they're doing it in a clever way because when I first heard it, I was like, how are they going to deal with like piracy, right? Because that's what all these companies care about so bad. But mm-hmm. basically, 
if me and you wanted to watch something on Netflix, right? And Netflix were doing this, even though they're not a launch partner, which makes me think they're probably not going to do it. But let's imagine me and you are watching some show on Netflix. We both have to have the app downloaded and be subscribers. Mm -hmm, All mm -hmm. it's doing is like syncing play pool position and stuff like that. I do think it's cool and I am excited to try it out, but I'm just not sure I have done this. Or would be in the be in a position to want to do this, but the SharePlay APIs they can do more than this. Like there was a demo which had multiple people collaborating on an like a whiteboard app mm -hmm. using this technology. Yeah, so it's interesting. There, there can be some cool stuff done here with like this real time sharing, which it could be pretty pretty interesting for for experiences that maybe we haven't thought of yet. Yeah. Um, I guess it doesn't, does it count? I mean, spatial audio was kind of already a thing. It's actually shipped, but I guess they talked a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. And th they, did they have some kind of presentation or something like after WWDC? Or they, they had something specific for spatial audio. Well, right? that was just the launch of spatial audio and Apple Music in the end. That's what that oh. kind of like quote unquote presentation ended up being, which is now available. And I really like it. That The unfortunate thing for now is there isn't a lot of music. Uh, you know that there's like mm -hmm. a smattering of of albums and songs in different genres, but the stuff that I've been listening to, I've actually been really enjoying the spatial audio in Apple Music. I think it's I think it's pretty cool. So I have spent some time, um, not a lot. I've spent some time actually. <laughs> I signed up for my Apple Music free trial because I have never used Apple Music, so I was like, all right, I want to give this a shot. Um, in the little bit of time I've spent with it, it. I, it sounds different, but a couple of the things I've noticed. First of all, um, I mean, it just really sounds like it's just a different mix on on the audio. Like some tracks, like you know, "Blinding Lights" by The Weeknd, I think was the one that really jumped out to me. Like, oh, this sounds. I mean, the original song was mixed amazingly, and I loved the, just sonically how that song sounded when it came out last year. The the Atmos mix. There's certainly more sort of definition and kind of like you can sort of hear more instrument separation. But also, certain parts of the of the song just sound very different, right? Like some of like those synths, it, they're just much louder. Like they just seem, seem a lot more prominent in the mix in a way that sounds cool. But a lot of my experience with spatial audio isn't better; it's different. And there's nothing wrong with that. And if that's the way that you know the the producers and the artists intended for the the song to sound, great. But I've also heard things like some like dynamic range can be kind of weird sometimes. Like some tracks I've listened to, they're like, okay, I've got the volume set, and all of a sudden it'll jump significantly for like you know the when when the, the bass hits or something in a way that most music isn't typically mixed as. So to me, it just seems like it's a cool ability for producers and whatnot to be able to get that sound that they really want. But I don't know how different it really is to quote unquote standard audio because I mean it's not like you know, for decades now, producers haven't mixed for stereo and have done all of these things. It seems like they have a little bit more like sort of fidelity in how they can place like instruments and different, you know, virtual channels with Atmos. But it doesn't, to me, it doesn't like completely blow me away. It's like, oh my God, this is, this is great. It just, it seems different. I found different songs to have a different effect. And I think that there is a difference in how it was recorded and if they're just trying to remaster it. Mm, and yeah. that, and and there's been some talk from Apple, I think, which is similar, right? Which is like, you can mix it and it will sound good, 
but if it's recorded with Atmos in mind, it's even better. And Apple's actually helping set up some studios now. Oh, nice. Like helping existing studios set themselves up to record better in Dolby Atmos. Dolby's a big winner here, by the way. Like, I think <laughs> yeah, Amazon, I think it's are. Amazon as well that's using Dolby Atmos. And then on the consoles, um, yep. and then on Apple TV supports it. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. Atmos is everywhere in theaters. I Dolby mean, they must be they, making some serious money right now, right? Because they've also got the video one. What's the video one called? Vision. Right, Dolby, Dolby Vision. Vision. And that's yeah. on the iPhone too, right? Mm-hmm. That's how to do the mm-hmm. HDR. I don't know what Dolby's doing over there, but they're doing some smart moves. They're everywhere right now. <laughs> they're cashing those checks. Every iPhone yep. you buy, I'm sure a couple bucks goes straight to Dolby. But I like the spatial audio and they're doing more with it. Like it's going to be in FaceTime now as well, which is kind of interesting. So if you have like a group FaceTime, it's going to split the people up a little bit more. And it, they're doing a lot of stuff and I like it. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued to see how it continues to spread out. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. How much are you using your iPad at this very moment? And specifically, is the addition of the biggest feature of WWDC, widgets, going to change your life, yes or no? I'm using my iPad more right now. Okay, okay. Because I've got 15 on it. Oh, and so you're already a, you're a beta boy. Yes, of course. I mean, on the iPad, I only have the beta on my iPad. It's the only device I have it on right now. I like widgets a lot on the iPad. It makes a lot of sense to me. It always made sense, right, that you would have widgets on that large screen. And I really like mm-hmm. having widgets on there. And I'm, I have an old iPad mini that I've also put the beta on. And I have this dream of, like, setting up just this screen, which is always on and just has a bunch of widgets on it all the time. But, like, I haven't oh. completely worked out how to do that yet in the way that I want. But the, honestly, the bigger change for me, it's like widgets are great. I know how widgets work though, right? Like they haven't changed anything with widgets. Or the only difference is that the iPad has a new extra large size, but I mm-hmm. haven't had the opportunity to play around with any of those because none of the apps that I use can support that yet. But they didn't add any different interactivity or anything like that. Widgets are mostly unchanged. Which, by the way, is super weird. Like Apple started this incredibly huge design trend last year by yeah. accident. Google super lent into it. Apple did nothing. I don't really get that, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, look, okay, so obviously I watched WWDC with everyone else, and, you know, you're always excited. You're always curious to see. Um, the iPad updates seem weak this year, right? I mean, it's nice to see pretty much all of these features that yeah. come to iPhone, come to iPad, come to Mac. That's not something we've seen in past, usually like the Mac or like last year, widgets as well as the um, app library for some bizarre reason didn't come to the iPad when they were already there on the iPhone, which, I mean, good, they caught up to last year. Um, but it, it seems like a mostly underwhelming year for the iPad, especially given like everyone keeps saying, how powerful the M1 iPad Pro is, and yet there's not much, if anything, really, in iPad OS 15 that I think can really flex the capability that that M1 really does offer. Yeah, let me, uh, on that, right? So, I, I, I didn't genuinely believe that they were going to do what everyone wanted to do, right? Mm-hmm. It just seemed unlikely to me. There were things they could do, and there were things that I'm surprised they didn't do. I'm surprised... You know, I was asking for like uh, different multitasking, right? But I, I was less convinced about that. I did think they were going to do something more of external displays. But yeah, I'm actually, yeah. I'm still somewhat optimistic that that might come in a way that a time that we're not expecting, kind of like the trackpad mode 
did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it makes more sense for Apple to have an external display mode for iPad when they have an external display they can sell you. Oh. So okay, I'm still okay. I'm still thinking maybe maybe sometime in the next few months, maybe sometime like next year. I don't know. Whenever they're going to have this display, then maybe we'll see something change there. But who knows? What I will say as an iPad user and as someone who has spent a lot of time on the iPad and has kind of moved away, but you know, I still use the iPad like a lot. The changes they have made to multitasking are really good for people that use the system. And I actually think will be good for people who have been hesitant for the system because (laughs) they have made it much clearer to activate split views and stuff. And the way that you choose apps, like it now just takes you to the home screen to pick your next app, it makes a lot more sense. What I'll also say is that a, a, a power user of the iPad, they've put keyboard shortcuts but, yes. but for all of this. And it is so much easier now to just use the keyboard to fly around the operating system. I think they've made some really good refinements. And, and look, I... I hate to be doing this already, but these feel more to me like refinements for foundation for the future. Mm -hmm. Like that they've cleared a lot of stuff up and there are some interesting parts of it. Like it's possible for you to have like a window in the middle of the screen, you know, like you could have two apps open, but you can open like a mail window in the middle. I don't know. I feel like that there is some groundwork being laid here with the new system which is a, a, it's like the first time that they've made a significant refinement like this, kind of since they launched it. They've it feels like that they've kind of just been building on, building on, building on, and this kind of does feel to me of like, look, we have this particular way we want iPad multitasking to work, which is this, you know, like one apps, two apps side by side, and one coming in from the side. But they finally, I think, done some rethinking into the 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 way that you get that started. And my hope is that they build on it more from here but we'll see yeah i'll say like i was certainly underwhelmed right and having not tried the beta yet yep the multitasking uh, as well as universal control which just seems really cool to be able to kind of move your cursor from like if you have your ipad and your mac side by side or something you can move your cursor and even drag like text or bits and pieces across your different devices yep very cool very nice yeah when it comes to the multitasking i'll freely admit i one of my big problems with the iPad has always been multitasking. I've never really been a huge fan of the way it's done it in the past. And obviously you have like your split views and whatnot, but I'm I'm just, I feel like I'm just old school. I always like having full window management like Windows or Mac offers. You know, I'm staring right now at five different windows on my MacBook display, right? And that's not something that you can easily do on the iPad previously. But giving me keyboard shortcuts and giving me more access to being able to move things around, like... I never really got into building like the app pairs and all that kind of stuff because for me, it was like I spend so much time setting something up. It just feels like a waste when I could just on the Mac go click, click, click and just drag stuff around, right? Use like, you know, better snap tool or whatever to kind of get things roughly where I want them. So that I'm happy to see. Um, but I mean, it's hard for me to get excited about like widgets and stuff that are a year late, right? I just, it doesn't seem like, it seems like for a lot of people, the fact that they put an M1 in the iPad Pro was writing a check that the operating system just simply couldn't cash this year, which is fine. And if we see updates throughout, like, you know, like you said, with the trackpad or like some big feature that just randomly shows up. But to me, I feel vindicated in my M1 MacBook 
lifestyle decision with with, with my one true love. My one true love. Um, I was open minded about maybe going for an M1 MacBook, and 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 if they had some huge update, like okay, you know, I'm gonna go back to the iPad and enjoy like the built-in 5G and stuff. But looking at those iPad OS updates. I have zero inclination to move back over to the iPad. I feel like the Mac is absolutely where I am most comfortable. And I don't see that changing for quite a while unless they have some radical, radical changes when it comes to like window management and multitasking and actually having more pro apps, right? Yeah. I feel like every year it's like always like on my bingo card of like, okay, they're going to have Final Cut, they're going to have Logic, or they're going to have something. And it's just doesn't happen and it doesn't happen it's just no, like it's a shame it is a shame <sighs> yeah so they could be setting more of an example with the apps than they are i don't know what's taking them so long the, the one thing they did in that area this year is swift playgrounds which has previously been you know it started off as kind of like a training tool mm-hmm. you are now it is now possible to build and publish to the app store straight from swift playgrounds so you can build applications in swift ui and publish them to the App Store for sale from an iPad. Like that's the beginning of something, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's still not the professional app, you know. Yeah. They, they didn't put Xcode on the iPad. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I just I like a lot of the iOS 15 updates. I mm-hmm. like a lot of the the stuff on macOS. I mean, obviously, uh, the new macOS updates aren't revolutionary right i mean i think big sur was such a huge jump last year that this year it's like okay cool you know it's the the big really takeaway for me was just hey look all the stuff that ios and ipad os are getting the mac is also getting which is really cool like because that's been really inconsistent in the past mm-hmm. um and so i i think that that's great that a lot of the big features that they added like quick note and stuff like that is all on the mac i think that's really good i'm pleased that they've done that but they didn't there, there are some areas of of Big Sur that could have dealt, could have needed a lot of work, like widgets, right? Mm-hmm. They're still and, and like notification center. Those are areas of Big Sur that that desperately need some help, and they haven't touched them, which is a bit of a disappointment too. But you know, honestly, like I will say, I think they've done more in this WWDC than I maybe I was expecting. I thought they were gonna this was gonna be a quiet year, but I, there's there's a lot going on. But yeah. Like always, they have not done everything that people wanted them to do. Why are people always so greedy, Mike? Why can't they just know. get happy and find their one true love and just appreciate another year with their favorite devices? I see how that one true love will survive uh, post another uh, MacBook Pro update, shall we? <laughs> I make no promises for, for future <laughs> love interests. <laughs> This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by The IntraZone. If you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, check out The IntraZone. It is a bi-weekly podcast of conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and related technology can help work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how SharePoint can fit into your everyday work life, letting you easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Every episode covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focus topic of the week, guest perspectives, perspectives, FAQs, and information about upcoming events. Some of the topics on recent episodes have been super interesting, like how you can work with the SharePoint framework to help your team work better together, how Office 365, OneDrive, Teams, and Microsoft can be Microsoft Teams can be used together for you and the people that you work with, and also how you can administer stuff in the cloud as well. 
one of the episodes that I checked out recently was going deep on Microsoft Teams and how you can make it work within your organization. Considering our remote working challenges and the upheaval that we're all going through still, it could be super helpful to understand how uh, devices and can be used together with stuff like Microsoft Teams to really help you stay on top of your work and get everything done. Go and check it out today. Just search for The IntraZone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E or just click the link in the show notes. Our thanks to The IntraZone from Microsoft SharePoint for the support of this show and Relay FM. E3 is kind of already begun. It's it's weird this year. It's like, it, it, it's sort of E3, but it's also ancillary events and also there's nothing in person. And also, as always, everyone decides that we're, they're going to do their own events. It's almost like it's gaming week. It's not, <laughs> it's not even like really just E3 like it was in the past. Yeah, because there's like, was it Summer Games Fest? Like that's yeah, a, that's a thing yeah. that happened. We both watched that. Um, it looked interesting. I, there wasn't really a bunch of games in uh, Summer Games Fest for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I know everyone's freaking out about Elden Ring, um, which looks cool if, if this is the type of game that you you enjoy i haven't really ever enjoyed the souls games or anything like that mm-hmm. um, but i know it's been heavily anticipated people are super hyped about it i'm sure it's going to be great i mean obviously i'm a huge fan of george R. R. martin and the mm-hmm. fact that he's involved and mm-hmm. i mean that gives me some expectations but i agree i this has never been my kind of game i'm happy that they have a release date which actually seems to be fairly soon january and uh, yeah and the other thing i think that's kind of interesting about it is that they didn't give us a trailer so much as they gave us, I feel like, a bunch of clips of gameplay, right? Which, at first glance, is like, oh, this just looks like it's a PS4 game. And then you remember, oh, wait, but they're actually showing you real gameplay footage, which I appreciate, yep. you know, because... I prefer that to the trailers, like the cinematic trailers. Exactly, because, I mean, if you look at stuff like Ratchet, uh, Ratchet & Clank, which I think actually is coming out this week or in it's the last couple days. But I've seen when we're recording. We're recording on Friday. It's out today. So, looking at some of the gameplay of that, I mean... It's nice to see true next-gen titles, right? Because Ratchet & Clank is one of the very few games that is not getting a cross-gen release, especially now that they've announced, like, you know, Gran Turismo and so many of these other games that were PS5 exclusives. I feel like this is the first one, right? Was uh, Returnal. Returnal? Okay, Returnal yeah, as well. Yeah, okay. Returnal, because uh, Spider-Man was obviously cross-gen. Um, I don't know of any... There's probably a couple of smaller indie titles, but I don't know of any major AAA Xbox exclusive titles. Everything has at least hit PC or gone... Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything has gone to Xbox One. So looking at Ratchet & Clank and seeing what they're really able to do when they're flexing the PS5. But I'm really excited to see as we get more PS5s and Xbox Series S's and X's in the wild, what more of these exclusive titles look like. Because you look at something like Ratchet... That game could not exist on PS4 in the way that it is, right? So many of the gameplay mechanics going through the rifts and stuff, it simply expects the speed yep. of the SSD and like the ray tracing, all this stuff yep. that really does push that game to the next level. And I'm really amped to see like more of these games that aren't tied down to the base Xbox One from 2013, you know? I mean, I think mm-hmm. between that and the slow laptop hard drives, we're starting to get glimpses of what next-gen is like. But we're look, I mean, it's June 2021, right? Like, these consoles have been out for approaching a year at this point, and we're only just now starting to see even the first games fully take advantage. It has been slow. Ratchet & Clank is the first game that I've been interested in for the PlayStation 5 since, the, since it launched. 
Mm. Just for yeah. me personally, like with the games that I've been wanting to play, it just hasn't been anything. I mean, there's good reason for that, right? Like COVID's delayed everything. It's been a bit. It's been such a weird. It's it's been such a weird launch for these consoles. You can't buy them, but there's no games Still. for them. It's like a very <laughs> weird thing that we're in. Like, but it, it's it's it, there's this has been a very weird and like unexpected launch of these consoles you know like it really is that strange one-two punch of like you you can't buy them and there's also no games on them but that's going to change you know there's a bunch of stuff that was announced you know like when these consoles were launching should be coming out i reckon over the next six months or so yeah we've got halo we've got battlefield which that trailer looked completely insane town. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really honestly, excited for Deathloop still on PlayStation. Yes. That looks fun. That yeah. just looks like a really fun game. But, I mean, at this point, I'm right there with you. Most of what I've played on Series X and PS5 are older games that sure look better. You know, like Forza Horizon looks great at 60p. Um, Last of Us has seen, finally, the PS5 patch to get, you know, the, the higher frame rate support and stuff. But that's mostly what I've been doing is just playing older games at better frame rates, which is certainly an advantage of this generation where you can kind of play a lot of these older games that either you didn't play or, you know, were designed for PS4 and you get that better experience. But ultimately, running Last of Us at higher frame rates is not the same as a true next-gen title. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm curious to see. I, I'll say we are, I know I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. We are waiting on potentially some very large news out of Nintendo over the next week, which yeah. I'm excited about. That's so the thing I'm most excited about over the E3 period is, is the Nintendo Direct. Yeah, because there have been heavy rumors that Switch Pro is is coming any minute now. Like like, <laughs> so uh, we actually had our first trip. So we went out to to visit Toyota and do some content last week, and uh, there were some rumors before we left that Switch Pro was potentially going to be announced before E3, yep. so that uh, their partners could actually announce the games that were going to be running on Switch Pro. Yeah. So for the entire trip notifications were on, everything was on high alert because the second that Nintendo decided to start talking about Switch Pro, we were ready to just grab the camera and immediately start shooting a video. So thankfully, I haven't had to be woken up at 3 a.m. for some random Nintendo announcement. But it does seem like very likely that some kind of Switch Pro will be announced. I mean, realistically, I think between... Like, so again, we are recording this on Friday the 11th, right? So the episode will come out a couple of days later, and you may be listening whenever you're listening. But Nintendo's event is scheduled for the 15th, which is next Tuesday. And it's 45 minutes long. Can they announce a console in that presentation and still show off all the games? It doesn't seem likely to me. Mike, don't, 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 don't do this to me. We're, I'm not we're saying it's not happening, right? Like they could do something another day. They could do it on Monday. I don't like. I'm. It just maybe they do. Maybe maybe there isn't. Maybe the Switch Pro comes out and there just isn't like a ton of stuff to say about it, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like this is our new console, and hey, we have a new console, and it's the screen is like this, and it's this power, and it plays all these games. You know, like it might not be a huge deal. So it might mm-hmm. not need its own 20-minute, 30-minute presentation because it sure seems like they're going to have games to show that will benefit from the additional power. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That just seems very likely. And 
I think Breath of the Wild 2 yeah, will be yeah. the launch title for the Switch Pro. I think that makes sense. They had so much success with the, with the Switch and Zelda. If I'm Nintendo, this is exactly... I will want to repeat that success again. Yeah, I 100% expect uh, if we do see Switch Pro announced in the next week or so, it's probably not going to go on sale until you know September, October, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I assume that might be a well. It might be a little soon for Breath of the Wild too. Maybe not. I actually don't know if we're really going to see it this year. But I just have so many questions on how they approach it because my assumption would be it's going to be similar to the way they did like the new 3DS or something, right? Where you know it's just it's just the upgraded version of the Switch and it's got some more performance and you know better screen, et cetera, et cetera. Bigger but, screen, more power. I yeah. The way Nintendo typically handles these things, though, they don't make a huge deal about their newer hardware, right? Like, they always keep the focus on the software. I can see Nintendo spending five minutes telling you about why the new Switch Pro is cool and then moving straight on to the games, right? Yeah, like it's very they possible. don't typically Yeah, they don't typically make a big deal. I mean, remember when they did the Redbox Switch and it was a updated processor with, like, significantly better battery life? They didn't say a word about it. Yeah, that was a bit boring, though. That 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 was like it, it, we've run we've run out of this process. Where <laughs> like it wasn't there wasn't really a, a consumer story to tell. And there is with right. this, right? Like it is True. going to be a better product that they will want you to buy, right? And it's eventually going to replace the original. But it's not going to be like, and there's no reason for it to be like the half an hour video presentation like the original Switch, because with the original Switch, they have to sell you on this new console idea. And that's mm-hmm. not a thing mm-hmm. that the Switch Pro will need to do because it's going to be the experience that you know, but better in these ways, right? I'm really excited. I'm really excited to get my hands on Switch Pro. I'm excited to make content around it. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are so amped about everything Switch. It's sold so well. Oh, yeah. And I think if Switch Pro and Switch Lite are the lineup going into the next few years, I think Nintendo will be in really good shape. But, you know, something else that we actually already have some detail on. So there's certainly going to be probably more on Sunday. But Microsoft has started talking a little bit about their plans. So we know that Xbox and really xCloud seems like the big thing they've talked about at this point. So not only is there going to be an Xbox TV app, which I think is uh, not a huge surprise. I mean, it makes sense. They're pushing xCloud more and more, but having it built into various TVs, I think, makes sense. But also they confirmed they're doing an xCloud streaming stick. Bringing xCloud to TVs, I I think that's more important than the streaming stick. Like, yeah, because all the streaming stick is going to do is enable the xCloud app for TVs that don't support it or streaming boxes that don't that aren't supporting the xCloud app. This is a very intriguing idea, like stretching Game Pass out further. Yeah. Right? Like this is... It's interesting. Xbox is becoming just like Microsoft, really in a way like (laughs) it it is becoming like microsoft at large right because we were talking about it earlier microsoft does two main things they sell windows and like make windows and they sell teams office all that kind of stuff and xbox is becoming a company that sells xboxes and also has a streaming service yeah because i mean it's been well established since basically the beginning of time, if your name is not Nintendo, you do not make money on hardware. Yep. Although actually, just a really small side note on that, 
there was a uh, an investor presentation that Sony released, or I, I leaked or whatever, but um, they're actually saying that they're approaching profitability on the PS5 um, much sooner than I think that they had initially expected. I think they were actually almost profitable on PS5 already, which actually is a big surprise for me. But sidebar on that. Well, I mean, they always get profitable and it's after a certain period of time, but that time is... Years. Is, is, but it's... I don't think it's a time thing. I think it's a sales thing. And I think they've sold enough. <laughs> right? Yo, actually, actually, though, yeah, you're probably right. Because everyone is going to pay top dollar for PS5. They're not going to have to discount a PS5 for a very, very yeah. long time. I think it's just but, they've sold so many of them. They sold more than they would have expected to sold at this point. So they've just hit yeah, that every single point. Every single one flies off the shelf immediately and gets flipped for two to $300 more than MSRP. So uh, that's interesting. I'm uh, I'm interested in in what they're doing on the Xbox side with Xbox TV and xCloud. I agree the streaming stick. I mean, obviously, any new piece of Xbox hardware is cool. I assume it's just going to be like a Chromecast. You plug it mm-hmm. into your TV and you pair an Xbox controller with it. And boom, you've got it You know, on pretty much any display, which is cool. And I'm sure we're going to come up with a lot of really dumb video ideas around that. Yep. But... The thing that I think is actually maybe more, well, maybe not more interesting, but at least more interesting to me, is that they're now starting to fire up Xbox Series X hardware in the cloud. So as of this point, pretty much all xCloud has been, all of the xCloud games that you've been able to play are essentially just Xbox One S's that are just running in the cloud, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, you've got it set up there, and it's streaming that you know 720p, 1080p signal, whatever the game is is running at. But it's just, it's... It's it's the the basic version, and for cloud gaming, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, most people are playing it on their phones or something. You're not really playing in 4K. You can't even really see that detail in a lot of cases. But now they're starting to fire up some more Series X hardware. Not only is that going to potentially open up more games, especially in the future, you know, so you're going to be able to play pretty much anything as opposed to you know as these Xbox exclusives come out um, that don't necessarily support the Xbox One. But almost more importantly than that, I think what's going to be really interesting about it is that you'll be able to actually see the load time improvements, right? You'll be able to see things like ray tracing. Even at lower resolution, you'll be able to see the difference between a ray-traced Halo and a non-ray-traced Halo. So that, I think, is cool. And one of the interesting things about it, so when we went out and we talked with the Microsoft team early last year when they were announcing a lot of the Series X stuff, Mm One of the things that their technical team had kind of talked about was that they actually built a lot of features into the system on a chip, the the main like sort of you know CPU, GPU, and everything of the Series X, specifically for cloud streaming, right? So not only the smaller things like the fact that the controller timestamps um, with the game, so essentially you can instantly tell, or at least they're trying to cut down on latency, not only when you're local. But also when you're playing, you know, across, you know, xCloud or something where the system and your controller can be better synced up. So you know exactly what that button press was meant for, for the frame and whatnot. And also things like helping the encoding work better. Um, There's a lot of things that they've done on the back end to help improve the streaming experience. So I wouldn't be surprised if not only do the games look better, but you may actually have slightly better latency when you're playing on a Series X via xCloud versus the current Xbox One S. I saw somebody say, and I thought it was a pretty interesting point, that one of the good things about Game Pass and xCloud is you can try out a game before you need to download it. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that is just really, it's like good quality of life stuff, you know? I think xCloud and Microsoft, they've done a really good job at this point of, of doing streaming right. 
nothing against Stadia, nothing against the other platforms who are trying this. But Microsoft have a lot of built-in advantages with obviously the games that they are developing or they're paying for, mm-hmm. the the hardware that they've already got. I can see now what I think would be the big move. They're clearly not going to do this, or at least I highly doubt they would. But the big move would be they bring this Xbox TV app to the Xbox One, right? Which instantly means that oh, wow. you don't need the huh. TV app or anything like that. And there's zero reason why they couldn't do that, right? Zero reason beyond the fact that they want to sell Series Xs and Series Ss. But imagine if the Xbox One was the first console that can play next-gen games via the cloud, right? That that would be that would be a bold move. I wouldn't put it past them. I don't think it's going to happen. Any reason not to do that? Well, they want to sell Series Xs. I think if 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 but you... what do they want to sell more though? Do you want to sell Series Xs more, or do you want to sell subscriptions more? I don't yeah. know if this is clear cut anymore of saying that the thing they want to sell the most is the hardware. Yeah, you're you're right. Surely I they agree. see I mean, more money from a mm-hmm. customer who subscribes than a customer who buys a console. Yeah. yeah right? You're right. Because all right. that money goes to Microsoft. All of it. Mm-hmm. It's not going anywhere else. And it's not like there's a lack of other places to play, right? So on top of the Xbox TV app and xCloud Gaming, uh, as far as the streaming stick, you'll also now be able to play on iOS very soon. So they've been working on a beta for a while, but it's going to work in the browser. Yeah. Get around after stupid rule. (laughs) Yeah, well, that... Stupid. It annoys me. This is very true. But it's clear that they're making big strides toward this idea that xCloud will be everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting to see because you look at what Sony's doing and uh, the answer is not much, right? Not really, right? They, they don't have a real answer to what Microsoft have pulled off on the xCloud side. Nintendo certainly haven't. But the question is though, and it's the same for Nintendo and Sony, do they need to? Microsoft's doing all this stuff and it's interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they have to do something different yes right yes, yes and i think the jury's still out on what people will ultimately prefer because it's not like sony's losing out right now mm-hmm. same as nintendo they're just doing things the old way and they're doing great and microsoft's also doing really well but they're doing a kind of hybrid approach you know still selling on the consoles and they're also beefing up the subscription service and I just don't know. I just don't think we. I, I we don't know yet if Microsoft is leaving Nintendo and Sony behind here because I I think the jury is still out on which will be the better model. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know, man. It's it's really interesting. I'm gonna be curious to see over the next year or two. Because Microsoft did sort of give a little hint that they're already working on the next generation of Xboxes that are, I mean, I'm sure years away. But They had it's to clear do that. that yeah. Right? We're still making Xboxes. Don't yeah, worry, guys. They had to do that. It was, smart, it was a smart move, right? Because it, that they would risk alienating their core audience if they made it seem like the future of Xbox was an app. Right? Mm-hmm. So they, they had yeah. to say, hey, we're working on new hardware. And I'm sure they are. And I think it was the right move to say, like, yeah, don't worry, we're still doing that. Yeah. But 
I don't know, man. It's a brave new world. I'm excited to see switched up. I'm excited to see whatever nonsense that uh, the Microsoft team comes up with next. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see um, if Sony's ever going to make a PS5 exclusive again that's not going to come to PS4 over the next three years. <coughs> oh, sorry, does that? Was that out loud? <coughs> sorry, inner monologue gets out sometimes. Such a hater. It's okay. They're not my one true love. <laughs> Before we go, let me tell you about another show here on Relay FM that you can check out. It's called Focused. If you're struggling to focus, you're not alone. For all the distractions we have out there in the world today, focus seems like a superpower. But hosts David Sparks and Mike Schmitz can show you how. Go to relay.fm slash focused or search for focused wherever you get your podcasts.